0: Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Let's turn to John 15. John 15. And we'll be looking at the first six verses of John 15. This is the word of the Lord I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Now, note the last verse of the previous chapter in in chapter 14 before we venture forth into this new chapter. Uh, Notice what it says. The last sentence is... Uh, Jesus says, get up, let us go from here. And it, it would appear that at that point, um, they left the upper room and began traveling where they, and they would eventually end up at the Garden of Gethsemane, um, that place where he often met with his disciples and where he would pour himself out in prayer to his father. Uh, chapters 15, 16, and 17 then would have happened along the way. I think that's, that's what happens here. Maybe they pause for chapter 17 when, when uh, Jesus makes that high priestly prayer. But um, they're walking along the way here, perhaps pausing here and there as he emphasizes different things. Chapter 18 then tells us the group travel, traveled over the, brook, uh, the, the ravine of kindred, Kid, Kidron uh, to this garden the garden where Judas would lead the Roman cohort uh, to arrest Jesus. And so even while traveling, Jesus continues to encourage and warn his men about the days that are coming up. One final comment on chapter 14, in which we spent a lot of time, and I I share what Ryle says. Uh, uh, Ryle says, No commentator can leave this this chapter without deeply feeling how little he knows and understands of the full meaning of much of its contents. May we not, however, fairly reflect that one great cause of the chapter's difficulty is man's entire inability to grasp the great mystery of the union of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the Trinity. We are continually handling matters which we cannot fully comprehend and cannot therefore fully explain and must be content, listen to this, content humbly to believe. We can't understand them fully. We can scratch the surface, and at that point, we must be content to believe. And that's an important point. There is much about Almighty God that we can't fully explain right? If you've got it all down, let me know. Right? There's much we cannot explain. There's perhaps much we can't, will, never understand even. Because there will always be a distance between us, even glorified, and Almighty God. We don't become God when we die. Right? And so, But where we can't fully explain, we must be content to believe. Although the atheist might shout at us that we must be able to explain every nuance of the Godhead, they don't hold themselves to that standard with their own premises. Right? They don't hold themselves to the same standard when it comes to how the world works. They readily admit that they have no idea how The quantum realm works. Yet they investigate it and they make attempts to explain it and to understand it. How much more should we admit that we as creatures cannot plumb the depths of the God who created the quantum realm? I mean, who spoke the vast universe into existence and who chose a people to save before the very foundation of the earth. What we do not understand, we do not reject. No one does that, right? What we do not understand, our faith lays hold of based upon the testimony of the Word of God. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive an in, for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't have comprehensive knowledge before he acted. He went by faith. His faith took him out there. His faith made him trust in God, even when God didn't clearly explain everything, and God has not clearly explained everything to us. You are called to live by faith, and faith is what pleases God. Faith. It's your faith. That pleases God. It's believing without knowledge. It's believing without understanding. Not that we shouldn't grow in our understanding, but hear what I'm saying. Faith is what pleases God. Faith works when knowing is limited. But enough on that. Chapter 15. Jesus compares here his union with believers with the vital connection between a vine and fruitful branches. You get a a, a picture here. A branch disconnected from the main vine or main branch will not bear fruit. It cannot bear fruit. It, it just it, it, is, it is missing that connection that supplies everything it would need to bear good fruit. It does not, it cannot receive nutrients, it can't get that water that is carried from the ground through the main vine or the main trunk out to the branches. So likewise, if a man is disconnected from Christ, if he has no faith, if he does not believe, if he is not born again, right? If he is not united with Christ through regeneration, he will not be able to receive any nutrients, any spiritual nutrients, any spiritual power that would lead him to be able to then produce good fruit. The only power that That one disconnected from Christ has is merely from himself. It just, it's from his own power. He's got, so, so what does he have? He has muscles to help him move heavy objects. It's helpful. You can get a job doing that. You can make a lot of money doing that, right? And, his intellect can help him learn math and language. And his appetite can urge him to take in large quantities of protein. And his five senses can take in all kinds of data about the world. He can write poetry. He can write glorious poetry. He can, he can design skyscrapers. He can... He can uh, He can be such a good fundraiser that he can run for President of the United States, right? He can build a house with his own two hands. He can get a PhD from MIT in neurobiology. But disconnected from the vine Christ, he has no power to bear the kind of fruit that pleases God. None. The Word of God teaches us that those who are not connected to Jesus Christ are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. That's pretty bleak. You mean the guy who builds the hospitals and donates the money and, and the guy who gets you know the, the neurobiology MIT PhD? is darkened, ignorant, and hard of heart? Yes, outside of Jesus Christ, that would describe every one of us. It seems pretty harsh that Scripture would call our man who designed the Empire State Building or who ran a successful campaign to be the president or who got that terminal degree and dedicated himself to healing bodies for his whole life, that Scripture would call that man darkened in his understanding, even ignorant and hard of heart. But that is what Scripture teaches. Scripture's judgment of the man who is not connected to Jesus Christ by faith is even more intense than than deeming that man darkened in his understanding, ignorant, and hard of heart. Scripture teaches us that all that man's fruitfulness is actually sin. It's actually heaping up for him judgment. In the book of Hebrews, well, in, in the book of Romans, the Holy Spirit says, whatever is not from faith is sin. In the book of Hebrews, we read this, and without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And so without faith in God, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, whatever works we do are not the kind of fruitfulness that Jesus is talking about here. Without faith, no matter how benevolent, how impressive a man's works are, they are not pleasing to God. They are not. He may use them to good ends, but they are not pleasing to him at the root. There is no power of doing good outside of a true connection with the one who is good, which is Jesus Christ. There is no power to do good outside of Christ. And conversely, brothers and sisters, the most minuscule kindness, think of this, the most minuscule kindness, giving someone a drink of water or saying a kind word to someone who is grieving or tithing two pennies or saying you know, saying thank you to your mom who packed your lunch that morning is pleasing to God when it arises from our faith in Christ and our connection to Him. Those simple things, please God. It doesn't garner His anger at all and whatever imperfections are in it. If you are in Christ, God loves it when you do those simple things. Tiny little acts of faith. Give somebody a a glass of water. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me, says Jesus to his men here. So a branch disconnected from the main branch or the main vine will never and cannot produce a big, fat, juicy grapefruit. So any person disconnected from the source of spiritual power, Jesus Christ, cannot bear spiritual fruit or good works that glorify God. Another way to put this is that if there is any good in your life, if there is any works of faith, if there's any truly unselfish act, any truly spiritual good, it is only because it comes from God and because you are a child of God. God gets all the credit for the good. All good is from God, and those disconnected from God can do nothing that pleases Him. Don't get confused about this. If you get confused about this point, you quickly begin to think that what impresses God is not the 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 magnitude of the work done, but rather the faith that accompanies even the most outwardly unimpressive work. Amazon's charitable donations through Amazon Smile has generated $500 million, half a billion dollars um, uh, for charity in 10 years. Jeff Bezos is rightfully credited with this good work because it's his company. It's his show. But Jeff Bezos, as far as I know, has not done this good work because he desires to glorify God and honor his Savior, Jesus Christ. He does not profess faith. He, He does not profess faith. He does not profess any sort of faith in Jesus Christ and does not, therefore, abide in Christ. So this work, which perhaps has done a ton of good, And um, in God's world is not the sort of fruit that pleases God. But contrast that with Sandy Fultz dropping what she had to do Thursday night to run over and take care of Solomon when Jayla needed a little visit with the doctor. Sorry, Sandy. I know you love it that I'm calling you out. Sandy's faith in Christ, though, makes that little work something that will lead to eternal honor in heaven where where our treasures are stored. You know, whereas a half billion donated by Bezos is nothing less than sin, heaping up judgment, loathsome in the eyes of God. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You hear that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, apart from Christ, all that you do is nothing. In Christ, all that you do is bear much fruit to the glory of God. That's what you do. So it is not the magnitude of the work that makes it good, but it is the source of the work that makes it good. And if you are in the vine, your fruitfulness is a function of that connection. I mean, isn't that glorious? Connected to Jesus Christ and your fruit is actual fruit that pleases the Lord. Think of that. Well, if you are a worldling, it may not be a happy thing for you that you get no credit for the good things you suppose you do. But for the Christian... The fact that our fruitfulness, our good works, our productivity is from God Himself, well, that is just ridiculously cool. It's incredibly wonderful. It, it is only because, as Calvin, John Calvin, names it, the vital sap is running from us, is running in us from the vine. You know, Jesus Christ, that we are fruitful. We have vital sap in us. It does not arise from anything in us. We are fruitful because we are connected to Jesus Christ. And any fruit we produce, this is the cool part, is Christ at work in us. And as with all things, God gets the glory. And guess what? You don't get to boast. Not even in your good works. (laughs) ha. gone, nothing to boast in. I mean, aren't we convinced that the world does good works merely because they want to have a boast? That power of boast, I think, motivates so many people to be benevolent. God takes that away from us, and whatever good comes from us is His directly. Now, look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, there's something confusing in there, isn't there? Why does Christ say that some branches that are in him do not bear fruit, when later he says that every branch that abides in him bears much fruit? And I think this is easy to answer. There are some who appear to abide in the vine, but are in actuality not connected. They seem to appear in the vine. There are some who appear to abide in the vine, but are but are there's a disconnect. Calvin explains here that some have an outward profession, but they really have no real faith. Okay? They appear to do many of the same works as those who are truly Christian. They sing praises to God in worship. They they are fruitful and multiply. They guard their tongues. They give money to the poor. They read the, the Bible. They're members of the church. They pray. But they do not know God at all. They don't know Him at all. Remember that Jesus taught that the church is what? It's a mixture of tares and wheat. It's a mixture of tares and wheat. The tares are those who are not Christians and are not connected to Christ and do not have a genuine faith, though their works and their words may look no different than a genuine believer's works and words, may look exactly, may excel you in works and words. Ryle says this, there are myriads of professing Christians in every church whose union with Christ is only outward and formal. Some of them are joined to Christ by baptism and church membership. Some of them go even further than this and are regular communicants and loud talkers about religion, but they all lack the one thing needful. Notwithstanding services and sermons and sacraments, they have no grace in their hearts. No faith, no inward work of the Holy Spirit. They are not one with Christ and Christ with them. Their union with him is only nominal, but not real. I mean, those are fearful words, aren't they? It's depressing, isn't it? Why would I even bring that up? Aren't I supposed to be encouraging as a shepherd of the sheep? Well, I am, but that often means trying to wake up the sleepy sleepers, including myself. And one of the ways we get woken up so that we can feel, you know, oncoming danger is to contemplate just exactly what categories we fit into. Are we in vital union with Christ? Is there vital sap flowing in you because of that connection? Or are we going through the motions without any vital sap flowing in us? For some, it might be easy to determine this. You don't serve God in any way other than coming to church every once in a while, right? And then during the week, you forget about Him. I doubt there's a vital connection there. For some, it might be hard to determine You pray, you read, you study, you grapple with questions. you you genuinely seem to, to worship and sing, but it may be only an intellectual thing. Or a way for you to meet the expectations of others who are putting pressure on you because they really want you to be a Christian, but you're really kind of nominally interested. So you're just going through the motions. Perhaps... Um, perhaps it is in contemplating the question of whether or not you are a Christian that you will come to Christ. So yes, it would be polite of me to assume every member and attender of Trinity Presbyterian Church is connected to Christ. That would be polite. And that every child of our members is vitally connected to Christ. But that would be to ignore the teaching of Christ about the wheat and the tares. And would be to neglect your souls and lead everyone to the deadly presumption that they are in Christ. Now there are some who think they have fruit when they have none because they are not born again. They need to be warned to believe in Christ and stop trusting in their works for their salvation. They need to put their faith in Christ and stop thinking that it is, it is their fruitfulness that saves them. It is not fruitfulness that saves, right? That would be like the branch providing the vital sap to the vine. No, the fruit is born of that connection to Christ. The fruit is born of the Spirit regenerating you and engrafting you into Christ, out of which flows this fruitfulness, not the other way around. So, let's examine ourselves, because as Jesus teaches, those branches that don't bear any fruit, guess what? What happens to those branches? God takes them away. In verse 6, speaking of the same group, if you jump down to 6, Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Like branches that produce no fruit are cut off and cast into a fire to be burned up. So false professors who produce no real fruit are cut off and cast into the fires of hell. I know it's hard for us to hear about hell when we spend our lives trying not to think about death. That's my definition of entertainment, trying hard not to think about death. That's why you entertain yourselves, do you realize that? That's why we call it a distraction, it's you don't want to think about death. That's going to be my running definition of entertainment from here on. But it really is jarring to think about this teaching of Christ. I get that, but it is his teaching, right? If there is no vital connection between us and the vine, if there is no fruitfulness in our lives that arises from that love poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, if our faith is just a show and it's superficial or it's hypocritical or it's just plainly false... The Son of God teaches us that we are fit only for burning. That's all you're good for. Outside of Christ, you're good for burning. And that will glorify God eternally. And so two realities are spelled out by Christ in this passage. Those who are united to the vine, will bear fruit. Those who are not united, united to the vine, <clears throat> Jesus Christ, will not bear fruit and will be cut off. It's pretty simple, right? The obvious question to ask is, are you being fruitful? Is there fruit? Is your fruit good? Is it the result of being you know, connected, that vital sap of Christ running through you. Is it because of that connection to Him? Or are you just trying to please your parents, children? You don't know what it means to be connected to Christ, you don't know what it means to pray. You just do what your parents do. Even in your teenage years when you should be thinking your own thoughts. The fruit of the Spirit is, somebody Sam, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Is that the kind of fruit that is appearing in your life? That fruit of the Spirit, those sorts of character qualities. Do you have some of that fruit? And let's, let's just take the first fruit of the Spirit, love. Just love. Do you genuinely love God? Does your heart burn in love for God? Do you feel love for God? Seriously, this may be the difference between someone who bears good fruit and someone who has no fruit. The one who has good fruit, loves God, and that is the reason for his fruit bearing. It goes beyond duty to delight. You delight to bear fruit. You're not just, it's not duty. It's not just begrudging duty. Loving Christ, that one keeps his commandments. Now, all we can see of each other is the outward fruit, the outward works, right? When we look at each other, all we see are the outward works you know, he's at worship, he prays, he's reading his Bible, I see him do this, he's been very kind, I'm saw talking to somebody trying to build him up, you know, you see all those outward works. And that is the sole basis by which we can judge other people. But what do you find out when you examine your own motives? When you examine your own heart? Do you produce fruit out of a heart that is beating with love for God? Truly beating with love for God. Like you just, like, like, hopefully at some point, and hopefully still, your heart beats faster when you think about your beautiful wife. Well, how much more God? How much more that, that real feeling of love, right? Is your heart beating with love for God, or are you just trying to keep Keep parents off your back, is your fruitfulness, is your fruitfulness a happy consequence of your love for God, or is it just trying to please people around you, meet their expectations? So when you examine yourself and and you and look for love in your heart toward God, do you find it? I only see the outward works, but what do you each individually, do you see the love of God in your hearts? Do you find it? When you question the motivation of our fruitfulness being an indication of whether your profession is true or false, of whether you are in Christ or out of Christ, do you find love for our triune God is at the bottom of it? Or no? Do you have this positive fruit? Do you have this evidence of God's sap? flowing in you? I hope so. I hope so, but what if you examine yourself and find that love is not there? What if you're examining yourself right there and you're just like, no, my heart's pretty cold. I don't really think about God much and He's not certainly the center of my affections. What then? Seek the Lord While he may be found, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and God will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Did you hear that? If you don't feel that love in your heart, it says go to the Lord, seek Him, confess your sins before Him, and He will abundantly pardon. And and ask that that Spirit works in you. Now it wouldn't be right if I didn't address this part of verse 2 that I skipped over. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Right? The pruning work of God. Um, when you are engrafted into Christ, when you are united to Him by faith in your new birth, that is not the end of things. Right? It is at that point that God begins to fashion you into a vessel that's fit for heaven, to be in His presence. And the, that means that He does. <laughs> What he does at that point is begins to cut you back. He begins to cut you back at points in your life. It is always hard to believe that when, you know, the branches of our little rose bush are cut back all the way down, that it will lead to more fruits and more flowers and, and more beauty, you know? but and, and every time I see somebody just take rose bushes back, I'm like, oh, man, that's like... It's going way too far down. And yet, it's the only way to have more fruit. So it is with God cutting us back at points. In both cases, it seems counterintuitive that cutting back leads to more fruit. Scripture says that God does this through the means of discipline. Right? Discipline. And that discipline has a productive result. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline, the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seems best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God's pruning is discipline for our good. It's productive. It's productive of the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And it's unpleasant and painful. That's what characterizes God's discipline. It's unpleasant. It's painful. It's for our good. It produces good fruit. Right? What examples can you find in Scripture of a believer that was not pruned by painful trials? Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, David, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, they all suffered greatly. All suffered greatly, even from the outset of his engrafting into Christ, the Apostle Paul was told by him, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Right from the outset, right? All of the trials that the Apostle Paul suffered and every other saint were not meant to harm them, but to cut them back so that they would produce even more fruit. God is doing the same with you. So when when God's hand seems heavy on you, And the days seem long and dark. Please remember that God is at work in them. Please remember that He does at times pull away His presence to discipline you. He desires you to produce fruit and our flesh would like to go its own way. In fact, our flesh, Calvin says, is too fertile in producing destructive vices And so it's the mercy of God to prune us so that our fruit might be good and more abundant. So you should, as we are exhorted in Scripture, prefer having your suffering in this life and your comfort in the next. Desiring to have your good things in this life and have God turn away from you and keep you you from being pruned back. Will only lead to agony in the next. And that burning, that pruning will not be uh, productive of righteousness. It will be productive of justice. And so accept discipline from the hand of the Lord. Take your bad things, take your hard things, take those heavy things in this life and avoid them eternally in the life to come. Let's pray. Oh Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you have by his own work and grafted us into him. That we are connected to him, that you have given us fruitful to produce and what a joy that is what a joy that we can produce fruit that really pleases you that is not not simply sin and always sin thank you for the faith that you've given to us Father I pray that you would help us to do the work of self-examination help us to to see and know and be convinced that we are connected to Christ and that our fruits would, by your pruning, would continually increase and grow to your glory and to our own joy in this life. And Father, we pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name,